And welcome everyone to the Jeanette Byro podcast. I am so thrilled to have you guys here joining in as we dive into the world of expanding consciousness. I am a medium, a channeler, and this podcast is an outlet for me to share messages from the Ascended Masters to light beings to archangels and more. And especially, I love sharing the messages from other people on this planet who are exploring consciousness for themselves and willing to share their experiences so that we can all learn because no experience is the same. So thanks for joining the show. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome everyone to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me as always. And I am very excited to talk to Shannon Takis today. We, uh, we're going to be talking about grief, but here's the thing. Shannon is a very gifted astrologer. She does birth chart readings at Avalon Spirit. She also is a death doula and so deals very much with grief and death. But we're going to take the concept today of grief past just the process of grief and death the way that we traditionally would think it would be. And we would think that would be the loss of someone or, uh, well, someone, a pet, a person, a loved one, whatever that may be. But grief really does permeate so many aspects in our lives. And that's what we're talking about today. So this is really kind of seeing how vast grief can move through different tendrils in our lives in ways we may not realize. And so who better to talk about this than one of the best grief experts that I know so Shannon, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeanette. Always fun to be here with you and my favorite topic. So yeah, absolutely. I love astrology, but I love grief more. You do. And you're yeah. so well versed in it. You really are. And here's the thing is because you're willing to get into it, right? Like you don't orbit outside of grief. You are willing to get into grief. I almost see it as like, like a packed closet or a packed old shed you find in a farm field that you're like, I don't know if I want to go in there. There's going to be bugs. There's going to be dirty and who knows what I'll find. And you're like, yeah. you're like pulling on the gloves. You're like, let's go. Right. Yeah. yeah. You are getting in there. So, so where do you want to start the discussion today? Well, I'd rather talk about grief than enter a shed full of spider webs. That's pretty <laughs> So that's that's a good thing. Um, it's way easier, I think, than going into that. But um, yeah, where do I want to start? I guess I just want to start in um, highlighting what death and loss means, certainly since the pandemic, because we are just swimming in a sea of it um, without even maybe really understanding that we are swimming in a sea of it. Um, and then we'll just sort of talk a little bit about what loss brings, what grief what grief is and the types of grief, because there's quite a little bit of a lot of grief, different varieties of grief. And we'll just kind of just start there really mm -hmm. generic, not generic, a macro lens of it. And then mm -hmm. we'll maybe go a little tighter near the end. Get a little deeper into that shed. Go into the shed. Get to just where the spiders are. are. <laughs> and then we'll just bat away a few cobwebs and then Deal. we'll see what Deal. I'm going to push you in the shed first. So okay. <laughs> you get to go first. Okay. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, I mean, coming back to grief itself specifically, um, where would you start? Well, I guess some people might 
a question like, why, why would you go there? Why do you want to go in that shed? And for me, my why, um, like I've said on other podcasts, like I lost a brother suddenly when I was 24 and he was 25 and we were pretty close, um, as far as siblings go. So that was my initiation to like fall into the shed of spider webs. Right. Mm -hmm. What I learned from that experience over the years, certainly not in the moment and not the year after, but what I've learned is how much that experience informed my entire life, the relationships I have, the relationships I seek, what I seek for myself. And what I remember very, very clearly realizing in those moments was I did not, and I was very conscious of this thought. So there's like the unconscious and the conscious part of going through these big, big losses. And I was very conscious in my thoughts of, I did not want his death to inform me negatively. Like I did not want the death of my brother to um, flatten me, like take away my zest for life Mm -hmm. and my joy for life and my love of adventure and spontaneity and all the fun things. And so it's in that seeking of how do I do that when you're so affected by something so deeply, so profoundly, so life altering, how do you enter a shed full of cobwebs with a bit of curiosity? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like, that's kind of, so that's how I came to this topic so naturally or so easily. It hasn't been easy and it, and it, it is natural for me. But um, so my why is that I really want to help normalize our, our, our grief and loss culture um, that I'm part of. There's other cultures that do it far better than we do. But I'm just speaking about my culture and how I was raised and the culture that I was raised in. And I just want to start normalizing how we do grief and loss in our culture and afford the opportunities for others to speak about their losses in an open way, to speak about their grief in an open way. And I really do think that is one of the gifts of the pandemic because we've all been hit so personally, whether it's actually the death of a physical person or the death of an entire lifestyle that we had. And so I I just want to give permission for everybody to a understand what's rippling through their veins and their emotions and then and then get comfortable expressing it outwardly because I think in the expressing it outwardly not only do we get to change the experience for us we get to be offered usually compassion and empathy from others but then we also are literally teaching others to do the same thing. And the more we teach others to do the same thing, the more we start shifting the entire culture around it. Mm -hmm. That's my why. So that's Mm -hmm. why I'm here at the beginning of the shed door saying it's not that bad, little curiosity, (laughs) you know, might find a cool bike in there, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, So that's my why. So I just want to start there to give people an understanding of like why I even care about this topic and why I'm so passionate about others because what wasn't afforded to me back then. And that was way back in 1992. So that was like light years away mm-hmm. and no one was talking about it. And, and my experience could have been so much different. And I dare say easier, not the grief, but just the whole process of what we experience as a family and others who love my, my brother, John. Um, I just think it doesn't need to be as awful as it is out there. It doesn't need to be so lonely. It doesn't need to be so fraught with um, a lot of negative emotions. And there's a lot of joy and love that can be experienced. But when you're unable to or un- unknowing that that's even a possibility, I think that's just a real shame. 
You know, I really like that you're bringing this up. And the reason why is the slight tangent, but slightly not. Mm-hmm. I was having a conversation when I was getting ready this morning with my guides, and they're talking about doing a video on <clears throat> sharing how grief is still grief, even if one can see spirits on the other side. Right. And I was like, yeah, I guess from the perspective of a medium, because my kids and I were talking about this the other day. Um, they're like, oh, if so-and-so died, mom, you would still be able to see them. And I was like, yeah, I would. And they're like, well, would you not be sad then? I'm like, it would be different. I was like, because yes, I still would have the grief experience. Like I've had people, I've lost people and I do grieve their physical presence, right? The touch, the calling them, the bantering, even if I can sometimes connect with them on the other side, it's different. And so I was like, grief is still, grief is still grief. And we need to be able to talk about that. And we need to be able to acknowledge grief in the many ways it can be, because I do believe that grief and loss of a person can still be a beautiful thing. I do. Right. Like, and so you've lived this very, very, um, you know, I still have my brother. I still have my parents. So I have not lost a sibling or parents yet. Right. I've lost close people, but you have lost that sibling and you have lived to be able to say you do believe this to be true. So I find that very timely because I was literally pondering this piece this morning from all the different perspectives, also realizing, although I talk to deceased people, I have a limited perspective having having not lost a spouse, a sibling or a parent yet. A a significant day-to-day person that you do. Day-to-day. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And oh, you were, you made me think of something then. Um, all right, I've lost it. Sorry. That's okay. It may come back. Yeah, I'm just thinking like, it's, it doesn't let there be no misconception. Like the joy and the happiness you see on my face this morning, it, it still is lately in the last five or six years. And I'll probably start crying right now. Yeah. Like it's not easy, right? Yeah. When we lose our physical person, it's not easy. Yeah. And yet there's ways that we can connect with them. And oh, I know what I was gonna say. It's this fallacy that we don't want to talk about our person. We want to talk about our person. It's our only connection. And so there's always this misconception of it's so funny that I I I cry about him so easily in the last six years. And that for me has been a real big shift between he's now more dead than he was alive in the years that he's been dead. So it's been whatever it's been 25 years or something, but Mm -hmm. the day of his birthday where he was then more dead than he was alive, that really impacted me greatly. And ever since then, I'm just like a weepy mess about him anyway. Mm -hmm. um, But this fallacy or this misunderstanding that people don't want to talk about it. We desperately want to talk about it. We, we want to talk about it so much that I think that's half of the hurt that we carry around with us because we're literally like oozing love for this person out of our, out of our skin, out of our pores. And we're left isolated in that love, except with the people that, you know, knew him or like your immediate family or, but even within sometimes your tight community of the person that loved this person, grief is such a personal journey that not everybody can meet you and want to talk about it. Some people need to just like shut it down. Some people need to be very verbal. Some people need to be very weepy and um, some people need to stay busy. So it's so um, personal, the grief journey, but 
the the inability to talk about our person or our loved one is is i think a real part of i call it unnecessary suffering i think there's of course acute suffering that belongs with grief with the loss of anything we're going to get back to like it's not just about a dead person um this morning but um is is just this um um yeah, I just lost my train of thought again, but it's just this 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 understanding that it's such a personalized journey, but you will be met when you find your people that are open to listening to you mm-hmm. and all the words and the sharing, you know. Um, for an example, like I I just met up with a really good friend of my brother's, my my dead brother, uh, just like a month and a half ago, and I hadn't really connected with him in years and years and years, and he was going to be in my town, and I texted him and I said, you know, would you be willing to go for a walk and talk about John? He's like, I would love that, and mm. we we hung out for about three hours, and he's like, Shannon, this is so good for me. Anytime you want to talk about John, and then anytime you want to share music or stories or yes, please, yes, please, yes, please, and I think. I'm not going to say always, but you will oftentimes be met with people that are willing and wanting the same thing as you and to never really walk away from the opportunity to mention the person's name or a funny anecdote or a funny memory or something because it's love. Like Mm -hmm. it's just love. It's, and, um, and if we don't share it, I just think that's a real shame. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So talking about sharing, our grief and such. What are some other ways that we're really maybe not even realizing we're grieving things in our lives? Like what is that looking like? Yeah. Well, since we're sitting post pandemic, Mm -hmm. I'll start there. So um, we had a certain lifestyle. We were all used to very, very um, uh, things that, that we were just used to, right. Hopping on a plane, going to Hawaii, hopping on a plane, going to Mexico, driving across the street or driving across the province to go visit somebody you loved and just, you know, in community always. Right. And then obviously we all know what we lived through the last few years and it very much bred more of an insular living experience. Right. So getting on a plane is, you know, you can do it these days, but you know, everything is just a little bit harder. So, you know, I think some of the things that we don't realize we're carrying in the grief and loss umbrella are things like the loss of our hopes and our dreams. Like there was a lot of weddings that got canceled. God knows there was a lot of funerals that weren't able to happen either. So there's a lot of loss, intangible losses, I would call them. And they fall under things like hopes and dreams of the future. Um, There's certainly a lot of people that chose and also did not choose the loss of jobs. So that shifts a lot of things for people. Sometimes that means moving away from your community. So things like, well, I'm a great example, actually, because I've experienced a lot of loss in the last six or seven years. I left my community. I left a lot of people behind. I left pets behind. It was a chosen choice for me. And yet still, there was just a parade of grief that came with me that I'm still dissecting that I still think will take a lot of time. And that that was the choosing to leave, even though I knew I wanted to. So loss of my community, loss of my friends, loss of some pets, loss of a bunch of children that I really loved, loss of my good friend, Dickie Dick, who you've heard lots about. Mm -hmm. Um, He was still alive when I left and I knew his time was really precious on the earth. And 
Um, and then moving into a new community, then you're hit up with, okay, now I have to start again. And then there's this whole, you know, so there's a lot of losses involved in, it can be looking like one thing, right? Mm -hmm. And the same thing with the death of a physical person. So if we just lose our person, there's a lot of things out there called secondary losses that are the fallout from the main primary loss, such as, you know, I mean, if you lose a partner, like a husband or a wife, um, the fallout is like, oh, you might have to go back to work and become the main breadwinner or, 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 you know, so many things can fall from that, right? The family structure changes. So even things like empty nest syndrome, everybody's so excited when their kids finally leave the, the house and everybody's taking mm -hmm. a deep breath and they get personal space and freedom. And then there, and then come the tears yeah. because they're not ready for it. So like even an empty nest syndrome is something that I would say, wow, there's a lot of grief involved in that. There's a lot of grief when your kid graduates from kindergarten to grade one and grade seven to middle school and like all the things, right. Mm -hmm. Or when your child first has enough um, confidence to go away for summer camp for a week. There's a lot mm -hmm. of loss in that. It's like, <gasps> they're that old. Oh my God, tears, you know? And and then, and then you feel foolish because you're having all these big feelings. And, and that's all that grief is, is just a puddle full of big feelings. And I think what's really interesting and tricky about grief. So if grief is a, is a puddle full of big feelings that can be like angry, intense sadness. Um, when I say that we do grief so personally, I think it might be one of I don't know. We do it so personally. If you think of other feelings, we go to a wedding, we experience happiness and bliss and all the fun and everything, right? And it mostly looks the same for everybody. Everybody's happy. Everybody wants to dance. Everybody wants to, you know, have a drink of bubbles or not, or, you know, some non-alcoholic beverage of your choice. You know, so a wedding is obvious. A kid's birthday, all the experiences of the feelings are pretty obvious and pretty common, right? Like we're all experiencing the same thing. Um, and like, oh, I don't know, what what are some other things that we all experience that looks pretty the same? Like a backyard barbecue, everybody's kind of got the same feelings. We're all kind of wearing the same feelings. And grief is totally the opposite, totally the opposite. Somebody, like we always say, you know, be kind to someone at the grocery store. You don't know what they're going through. Literally, they could have just lost their favorite person the day before and they need milk. Mm -hmm. And so we, we... I think grief is one of those very, very interesting experiences that we go through that none of us go through the same. Mm -hmm. So you and your husband won't go through the same feelings and array, uh, array of emotions when your dog dies or when your cat dies um, that, you know, you'll go through it differently. And I think that's really jarring and unexpected for a lot of people because we always we oftentimes hear blanket statements like, well, you should be over it by now. It's two years or, you know, um, well, you should get back to work, stay busy. You know, we also have, have these blanket statements that we think will help this person through their pain and nothing anybody mm -hmm. says will help. And the only thing that will help is being met where they're at with open ears and listening for how bad the pain is. And I think that's one of the challenging things about grief is that it just looks so incredibly different on every single person that it's really hard for us to understand that and to candle our way through it when we watch our person suffering. And again, not just the death of something, but just even like what I've experienced, like with all the losses that I just talked about. And so I think we really need to understand that it's one of these very, very special life experiences that is is not cookie cutter. 
And mm-hmm. it's actually the opposite of cookie cutter. It's very, very personal. And what everybody needs is very, very personal. And um, to t- yeah, so that would be definitely one of the main messages of today's podcast that I would like to impart with everybody is yeah. that um, it's so, so personal. No two people will do it the same. I don't care if you're married or not married, living with a, a sibling and doing, you know, parent death or something like that. It's just not the same. And everybody mm-hmm. needs what they need. And everybody needs to be able to um, ask for what they need, be aware of what they need first. And I think this is what I hope this conversation will bring to people is um, to get still, to get quiet and figure out what you do need. Because most of what I do when I'm supporting someone through grief is just asking those questions. What's on your plate today? And what do you Mm -hmm. need to have not on your plate? What do you need to put on your plate? And that goes on for months and months and months and oftentimes years. You know, I have to say what I find so interesting that I I recognize now clearly is grief. But like we're talking about is the grief in these transition states in our lives. And one example I want to share that I at the time didn't know it was grief. So I couldn't understand it. So for most of my life growing up, I always wanted to be a singer. And I wanted to sing. I wanted to sing. So I started working on that. And I got to do some tours. I got to travel around the world a little bit, singing on stage. And then I remember there came a point after um, the Beast Country Music Awards. And I had won an award. And I'd like reached these milestones I wanted. I thought they were much bigger milestones, right? Like a Grammy. But I won a BC Country Music Award. And I remember there was this completion in that. And I was kind of like, what is that? And I remember thinking backstage, I was like, I think I'm done here. And I was like, what? Like, this is how I identify, right? And sure, there was some mediumship things happening in the background, but that was not at the forefront of my being. And so I remember after I had officially finally quit music, because I was like, I know I'm done. My heart is telling me I'm done. I don't know why, but I'm done, right? And I remember there was a a phase of not identifying as a singer anymore. And there was such grief attached to that. And I could not understand why, because I chose it. Like I chose to end it. I came to a place of being peaceful. The music side was done in my mind, although it's always there. But for about two years, I never sang once. In those two years, I wouldn't sing to myself in the shower. I wouldn't sing in the car where I would sing all the time, all the time. And I did not, and I didn't recognize I was grieving the loss of my identity because I remember one time I was working as a kinesiologist already. And I was like, who am I? Mm -hmm. When people would be like, so what do you do? What are you about? I'm like, I can't say that I sing because I do not anymore. Because I thought that had to be over all to say what I'm saying with this is in something that would seem so simple is like, I'm over singing, I'm done and I'm moving on. There was way more grief in there and the identity that I felt I lost only into the last year and a bit. Have I come to remember that I will always be a singer and that, you know, like there's this whole grief in there that I didn't recognize at all was grief. And I wish I would have, because I think so much more could have come from it and it maybe wouldn't have lasted as long if I could have these conversations about it. Uh, that's amazing mm-hmm. awareness first of all yeah. secondly I want to ask you something when you you said at the beginning of that story um I wasn't aware of it when I was going through it can I ask you like what were some of the feelings that you had like did you have anger were you sort of like 
kind of like carrying a bit of like jaggedness in you. Do you know what I mean? Like, was it anger? Was it just confusion and like unknownness? Or was there something in there that was making you sort of like agitated? Because oftentimes yeah. agitation and and I call I call it anger, but people have really strong feelings about this word. But let's just call it agitation where you you're not right in your body. Did you have these kinds of feelings? Mm-hmm. I absolutely did because if people would ask about singing, first of all, I felt like I couldn't talk about it, which no one ever told me I couldn't. This was all within me, right? And so then if it did come up, I felt almost like irritated or agitated that we were talking about it because I'm like, that's not me anymore. When yet, Why would it matter? I think once a singer, always a singer. Everybody's a singer if they want to be. But yeah, so there was this agitation without that self-identifier anymore. And it really bothered me. And I wrestled with it in the background. Like, again, not even full awareness. I was wrestling with it. It It's always in the background for the longest time until I finally could come around and be like, I can sing whenever I want. And if I want to book a gig, I I could make it happen or I don't have to. And I can sing in the shower and totally be willing. Like, so there was definitely, like you said, an agitation and an irritation there. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's still hard to pinpoint it exactly beyond that, but it was definitely there. Just this low hum in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And I noticed that same. And the reason I ask you that is because oftentimes anger is the portal to our grief, right? We're we're not just angry naturally. Mm -hmm. We're angry because of a thing. And lately, I would dare say, lately, as in the last couple of years, as we kind of come out of this uh, like pandemic haze that we lived under and still live under, um, there's been a lot of loss and I feel like there's a lot of agitation out in the world. Like when I'm driving, I see so much road rage. I've had so many people like flip the bird at me and like really just really, really kind of behavior that I've, I've not really experienced. And for the first time in my community, I was on a bike ride and I was getting road raged um, because I didn't come to a complete stop at a four way stop. And this guy was really angry at me. And for the first time, I felt like physically unsafe to be out there on my bike. And I dig down a side road to get out of his awareness of where I was. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. Like I've never experienced this in, okay. I I live a really privileged life in British Columbia. It's pretty safe here, Mm -hmm. but I've just noticed it a lot. So I just want to bring real good awareness in this podcast too, to the, 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 the awareness that anger is trying to get to you. And I experienced the same side of same sort of agitation you're talking about last spring when I, I was really feeling, um, so like I desire a lot of freedom, independence, and spontaneity in living my best life. That is when I thrive is when I can say yes to that thing and say yes to that thing. But I, own a home now, another privileged stance. I get it. I own a home that has a lot of work in the yard and I have a dog. And two of these things are very much a tie down for me in ways that I never understood the tie down of the thing until I've been living it for the last four and a half years. And so last spring I was feeling agitation inside of me and I was being agitated towards my pets. I have a dog and a cat and I'm not this person. I'm not easily agitated. Um, especially Mm -hmm. not to my pets or to my people. So I had to ask myself, like, what is going on with you? Like, what's this agitation trying to get your attention about? And it was about the loss, again, back to the loss, right? The loss of my independence and freedom to say yes to a really fun motorbike trip that I got offered twice last May to go do a really fun, you know, quick little weekend motorbike trip. And I, I couldn't say yes both times. And that ignited in me the knowingness 
of the loss of, of some pretty core values of mine to live my best life, um, freedom and independence and the ability to be spontaneous, spontaneous. So that has brought in a host of choices that I've made because now I'm aware of the loss. So that's a really great example, actually, of a really intangible loss. Like, I didn't even know I lost the thing until I was like really impatient with my pets thinking, mm-hmm. why are you freaking out here? You know, mm-hmm. so I, think, I really get that. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that, too, in in people's uh, loss of feeling in control as well, which is why I find Spirit has been talking so much right now about like, you know, the things that you can control are yours to make conscious choices about. The things that are beyond your control are yours to surrender and release, right? So that we can try and bring back a sense of not just like we're being scattered and yard sailing our entirety everywhere, right? Like, you know, when you do a yard sale and you're skiing and you just bail, yeah. everything ends up everywhere, right? You know. Yeah. Yes, um, I do. Many of us are, you know, have been feeling that in our lives since the pandemic, since lots of fear narratives. Now we're moving into confusion narratives. There's this loss of control. And I find people grieve that sense of alignment and and knowing who they are, knowing where they're at. And I think anger is flaring in the grief of that also. Yes, because we are still sitting in that not knowingness, right? We had a lot of knowingness for, let's just call it the last, let's like I'm 55, you're however old you are. So I'll just call it the last 55 years. I've lived with a certain knowingness of things that I can and cannot do to stay safe, alive, healthy, and whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And now I think we're sitting in this place of real unknowingness. I don't think it's going to unfold in the next short-term future either. So we're sitting in this big fat pause. And unless you're consciously choosing a pause, again, back to control, not a lot of people are comfortable with the pause. You know, we are designed in our hustle and grind culture, work hard, save money, buy a house, do the thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're watching all of that implode where none of that is actually sustainable because you can't even buy a house for under a million dollars anywhere. So all of those things that I've known to be true, you probably too, because you're just a few years younger than me, are all just big fat question marks now. Like, what do we do? What mm-hmm. are we doing? How are we getting food? How am I um, providing shelter for myself and my loved ones? How am I getting enough money to buy the food that's really, really expensive now? Like, the big fat question marks in the sky are definitely a large part of um the angst and the lack of control. And I think that's a lot of the agitation for sure, Jeanette. You, yeah, you, you said mm-hmm. it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. So, I mean, that being said, with the conversation we're having and, and um, you know, when I look at where we're at energetically from Spirit's perspective, we're nearing the end of this four-year span of growth from, you know, 100 years worth of growth and evolution in a span of four years. We're in like the last six months, right? Um, so knowing that, and it doesn't mean by December all is well and we live in utopia. It means we move on to a next phase. There's a new phase. But as we're moving through this now with the knowledge and with the awareness, especially the what you're bringing through today of grief, what are some things that you would suggest to people to kind of help them find their alignment again, find that place where they can become calm again instead of anger? What yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm a big fan of curiosity myself. I'm very curious and it's one of my go-tos for when, um, you know, just talking with people, just getting curious. So like for me last spring, why am I like so angry at my pets? They're just being my pets. They're the same. 
being inquisitive, going inside. So if you feel like you're road raging more, um, ask yourself, you know, what's actually going on here? Oh, I don't actually want to go to a job in an office space and be stuck in traffic for 45 minutes. Okay, let's, okay, full awareness. Now we can have choices, you know, we can do other things with that information. So just getting curious about what our feelings are telling us slash agitation, anger, because in there, in that shed is the bike that just needs dusting off, you know, and then, and air in the tires and then we're good rock and roll, you know? Um, so curiosity. And then I, I really want people to, um, what was your actual question there? Do you remember? Well, just, just basically like, what are some of the tools that people can use or what are the things to bring themselves back to alignment? So one of the things that I always ask people that I'm supporting through really immediate grief is what can you do today? So what needs to happen? What if it was your best life and you had all the money in the world, what do you need today? And it's oftentimes not going to work. Well, we're not very supported in our cultural for culture for bereavement life. I think we get maybe if you're lucky five days, usually three. It's mm-hmm. really hard for me to handle that. So I think back to the hustle and grind culture that we've been all raised in. I think usually one of the things that I hear people say often is more rest, not going to work because how can you actually focus? Cause brain fog is a real, real um, physical attribute of grief. Right. Um, and spending time quiet, like again, getting back to yourself and, and by being quiet, you can figure out what is this information trying to gift me with, right? Like, so for me, it was, the gift was, right, I'm not getting enough spontaneity. I'm not getting enough freedom for my yard without a dog attached to me. And independence goes along with that, right? So I made some shifts and some things are changing because of that for the betterment of me and for my pets, because they go hand in hand, right? So usually working less, if you can afford it, I know that's such a challenge in our culture. And this is one of my biggest passions in getting the message out of grief and loss and how tricky it is and how much what we're asking of people is really ridiculous. Um, So working less, sleeping more, taking naps. We're not sleeping well when we're deep in grief. I don't care if it's just the loss of a person or the loss of a hope and a dream. We're not sleeping well. We're likely not eating well and spending time alone to just sit with your feelings. And I know that's not easy for everybody, but it is in the pause where the ideas come of why am I agitated? Why am I so, why am I so upset? Even like it it can be something other than anger or agitation. It can just be profound grief, like sorrow, like flooding of tears. What's really going on behind that. And I think that's it. Like curiosity, what's, what's going on here. And then pausing to really get the answers um and then daring to speak and ask for what you need because that's oftentimes what I'm doing in supporting people who grieve is just having the courage to say I need not to come to work today I know it's just the loss of a dog but it's a profound loss for me and I need a week off and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of shame involved in that request because it's just a dog or it's just a grandma and they lived a 98 year old life and we should be happy for that grandma you know No, a loss is a loss is a loss is a loss. And we need to start allowing others to be brave enough to ask for what they need without feeling like they're wrapped in shame around the request Mm -hmm. because it was just a grandma who was 98 or just a dog who I only had for five years or 12 years or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So that is 
also my hope and my why is just to get our culture more normalized to like a loss is a loss is a loss is a loss. Some people sail through it. Some people, it takes years and years. Hi, I'm one of those slow processors and we are who we are and we get to be who we get to be. And, and it is in the teaching others how to ask for what you need. Like I, when I step out of the house, if I'm grieving, I always let people know if I'm going to an appointment, I might cry. Don't worry. It's just grief. I go into the grocery store. Like I said, on your other podcast, bag up the groceries quickly. I got to get out of here. You're usually hit with, hit with um, very empathetic ears and offerings. Mm-hmm. And it's to dare to try to explain express what's going on for you personally so that you can be cradled when you go out in community and you can brave asking for the hard thing which is like I won't be in this week Mm -hmm. absolutely and you just don't know I mean there's a lot of private employers out there that are like okay we got your back don't worry about it full paycheck coming to you but what if you didn't even ask you don't even know Mm -hmm. you don't even know what you could be hit with magically and and I mean I'm not going to say always but I'm going to say a lot of the time when you brave expressing what you're going through in life, when it's something really hard, you are oftentimes met with very, very soft, soft gloves. Mm-hmm. You know, and I like someone like a shop back for the spider webs in the shed. <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. You go in, you know? Totally. And yeah. here's the thing too, is that like, when we have a willingness to be in that position, then we're also teaching others that they can then do that too. Cause I have noticed that with my kids. And I mean, kids are so innocent and sometimes we can be like, you know, the brains are not fully developed. There's one stage at 12 and then at 25, they're finally developed, all these things. But here's what I've noticed is I've had times where I am just frazzled beyond whatever, got too many things going on. Maybe I'm grieving something. I'm just taking a totally general situation, but I've had moments where I clearly remember I'm getting snappy with them and I will catch myself and be like, hold on what is actually going on here? And I get curious and I'm like, I'm overwhelmed. I haven't taken a minute. I didn't ground after that reading, yada, yada. So I'll stop and I'll tell my kids, they'll be like, you know what, you guys, I'm sorry. I just need to stop for a sec. I should not have been that way. I'm overwhelmed. I didn't ground. I just need a minute. I'm feeling too frazzled. And I'm actually just like, mom just needs a minute. Can we give mom a minute? And then they're like, oh yeah, mom, for sure. You're a good mom. You you know, like they, they say all these sweet things because they then understand. And what I've noticed now is when they're acting a little funny, I can be like, what's going on with you? And they'll pause for a minute and they'll think, and they'll be like, you know what? I think I'm a little bit hungry. And then also I'm worried about this and this and this. I'm like, do you think that's what's bothering you? And like, you know, why you're acting the way you are? I think so. And I realized the link, right? So I'm talking parent and child, but I can guarantee you when you've said like that time where like, can you bag up the groceries faster? I'm just having a moment here. I'm grieving. I lost whatever that taught that person bagging your groceries that they too can ask because they're so willing to help. So every time that we're in a situation where we're willing to share truth or, you know, my husband used to always do this for me. Do you think you could grab those or, you know, whatever it might be. Can you, can you grab that for me? Yada, yada. People are willing and then they will also learn and grow and evolve from it. Yeah. And that's how we do evolve, right? It starts insular. Yeah. It starts, sorry, I have a bad cough. It starts on an individual level. And then by by daring to ask, we are met with compassion and empathy usually, very, very mm-hmm. often, I'll say, at least mm-hmm. that's been my experience. 
Mm-hmm. And even, even if it's just a look in someone's eye that's bagging your groceries, they're like, I get it. Get out of here. Here's your mm-hmm. stuff. Go. Mm-hmm. And then by allowing others to witness you doing that, they too get to do it and try and experience, I bet you, a good experience often, not always, but often. And then they're going to go and teach it and teach it. And that's how we become a healthier community by doing the work personally. And then by um, not like telling people how to do it, by just by what what is it um, with parents and kids? Modeling. modeling by modeling yeah, how to do that. Just like I'm coming to an acupuncture appointment. There's a good chance I'm going to be a mess on the table. I'm okay. Just pass me a tissue if I get too snotty and like call it good. And and every typically people are pretty comfortable with that. They're really not comfortable when you burst into a bucket full of tears on the acupuncture table and they don't know what to do with you, yeah. you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's a win-win. It's a yeah. win for you because you get to be held usually by someone in the community. And then we build a better society. Mm-hmm. And often yeah, when, a lot of yeah. And then oftentimes there's like a release that you have too, and a relief when you actually get to express it. Like you said, your friend, how they were so grateful to be able to talk about your brother right? There's like a relief by doing so. And sometimes when we're in those moments and we actually share that, like, I'm sorry, I'm probably going to cry on the table here. There's a relief of pressure of having to try and hold it in too, which allows us to just take a moment. And then we might not actually burst into tears. Yeah. Right. So exactly. Exactly. And then there's, and then, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that because getting it out is also good, especially someone like me who has a cat moon. And of course I had to drop astrology into this Capricorn moon yeah not the most crybabyist of signs with the moon sign uh so yeah there is something really really healing and cathartic about crying so I try and do it everywhere because um yeah it's hard for me so yeah um yeah amazing yeah so okay Um, all that being said any other kind of last points you want to share or what you want to leave people with um yeah why? Like, why go into the shed, right? Back to the beginning. Why go into the shed? Because when we don't, let's say we're not really interested in making community better and unless we're not really interested in doing the personal work because it feels too hard and I really hate like spider web sheds and all the things. Mm-hmm. What's the why behind? Well, why should I? Because it's going to get you anyway. Like we talked about in yeah. the last podcast, it's like whack-a-mole. So you deny it, you can deny it. That's fine but it's going to hit you. It's going to hit you in that. I think we talked about the grocery store aisle, the Cheeto aisle. It's going to hit you. You're going to grab a bag of Cheetos and burst into a bucket full of tears six years after a profound loss. Mm -hmm. I wonder what's the matter with you. So it's going to get you, but worse than that, it can really affect our mental health. Like we, this is not rocket science, our mental health, anxiety, depression, addictions of all varieties. These are our coping skills if we don't dare to go into the shed with a friend holding a shot back behind us, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the the big why behind it is just to protect people from, like I said, unnecessary suffering. It is hard, but it doesn't need to be harder than it already is. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's my big calling. That's my big passion behind like wanting to talk about grief all the time because it's hard enough. Let's not make it harder. It's Mm -hmm. hard enough. And it lasts a lifetime. Like, it's not like it goes anywhere. So Mm -hmm. it's hard enough. Do we want to make it hard all the way through life? Or do we just want to like, have some joy and fun and adventure along the ride and then like cry unexpectedly doing a podcast about my dead brother? Yeah, that feels way fun and way easier and less burdensome. Mm -hmm. And 
my mental health is pretty good. Um, I, I, I try to take care of myself and not lean towards numbing agents, although that's really easy to do, you know, like an mm-hmm. extra apple cider here in the summer on a hot summer day, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But it's for your mental health. It's for your overall well-being. And so you get to go live a happy, joy-filled life mm-hmm. with the knapsack of grief on your shoulder. But it doesn't get to be the driver of your bus. You do. Yeah. But it gets to come out when you stop for a picnic on the side of the road, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So to me, that's, that's, it's to protect yourself. It's to, it's like, let's just do it together. Let's do it as best we can. Let's have brave, open hearts for conversations that are really hard to just sit and listen without offering advice. Like, have you thought of this? Take a pickleball. Someone told me someone offered, you know, it's like, or you could just sit and listen to them cry. Yeah. Tell you how hard life is because it is in those acute moments of early stages of grief. Life is overwhelmingly hard. Mm -hmm. And more than not, we just need open ears and an open heart and um, and keeping judgment at bay for to be through it or, you know, all those things that are so easy for us to do as humans, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Make sense. Totally does. I love this conversation. I think it's very freeing and it just gives permission to all of those that are listening. If they've been holding back that permission within self, it's like permission granted, right? If you're resonating with this permission is granted. hundred percent. Yeah. And you just get to open your mouth and say, I'm really having a bad day. I'm not going to make it to work or I'm not going to be a very good spouse today or this morning. I'm going to go for a walk and here's why. See Mm -hmm. you in an hour. Hopefully I'm better. Yeah. Like, that's the other thing. Just another little thing. It it doesn't, it's not like you have a whole bad day when you're having a bad moment in the morning, you're having a bad moment in the morning. Do the thing that your body tells you you should go do, go for a run, go for a bike ride, go stretch, go do yoga, meditate, whatever your thing is, go do that thing. Minutes later, oftentimes there is relief from the acuteness of the really hard moment. And it's not to say you're not going to be met with another hard moment in the day, but I think people think it takes longer to get out of those like really, um, my girlfriend and I have this new um, lingo for the shit pit. We call it the shit pit when it's yep. just overwhelmingly, crushingly hard moment in a day. And um, the shit pit doesn't last the whole day. You'd be, I'd be surprised if it lasted the whole morning. And sometimes it does. Don't get me wrong, but I think there's a there's a there's um, a misunderstanding there too that it takes a long time to get out of these like really hard feelings. And it, oftentimes it just takes an ear mm-hmm. of a good friend for ten minutes to let you ball it out and cry it out and there is relief in that so it doesn't take as long either as I think most people think it does yeah so that might be a nice place to end the That's conversation beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, just lean in and ask for what you need brave it have the courage and trust that it won't take as long to get grounded as you think it might mm-hmm. into a better moment of the day and then just try to piece together better moments better moments better moments better moments as you go along mm-hmm. amazing all right. Well, thank you so much, Shannon, for joining thank us. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah sharing your insights. Mm. Uh, I will post in the description box below where people can reach you. Um, of yeah. course, they can reach you at Avalon Spirit, but they can also reach you on your own website, which is, what is your own website again? Shannontakeus.com. But the last name's funny, so just put it in the notes because no one spells it right. Not even. Yeah. So to, <laughs> It's to, so true. <laughs> I have to double check every time. Every time. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. It's so crazy. Um, yeah. 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 Always reach out and um, brave having conversations with your hard feelings. You will be met 
with open, open hearts, open hearts. All right. Well, thank you again. Thanks for having me, Jeanette. I so love talking about this topic. And I think we're just, like I said, swimming in a sea of loss and grief. And I think so many people are just unaware of the losses and the grief that they are carrying. And I just really appreciate you taking the time on your podcast to bring this conversation and this topic to light. It's really, really special. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening, for watching, and uh, I will see you all next week. So have a great week, everyone.